I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. You know, here on this Easter morning, it's funny here. In the Christian church, there's two days that really stand out to us that we do things differently. But Nigel, your words weighed heavily on me this morning. Because we can get so stuck in the day-to-day and the Sunday-to-Sunday. And, but then, magically, on Easter and Christmas, he finally gets our attention. We've got a stake in the ground on those days to represent something deeper to us. You know, even this morning, I was joking with my son, having trouble getting him out of bed. And I said, you know, Jesus got out of the grave. The least you could do is get out of the bed. <laughs> But we put monuments, stakes, moments right here every year on this day and on Easter or on Christmas, and we celebrate those days. But I want to take you back to the morning of the first Easter. Because it doesn't look much like what we're celebrating now. Maybe it does for some of you. That first Easter morning, just two days removed from what I can only depict as the most harshest event to ever watch. One that we've we've seen played out on screens, we've seen played out in the words and probably our hearts. Even the songs that we sing as we sang that old rugged cross today, You know, I just interacted with somebody this week and he was like, Pastor, you know, it's, this week's tough for me because all week I begin to think about my sins and my shame that put him on that cross. Got me in this circle of thought. This, what have we done? What, what have we done? Have, is that what we're to remember? Is the pain and the suffering? Because I can remember my sins. I can remember the shame that they brought me the first time that led me to the foot of that cross to say, man, I need help. And I can remember being trapped in this tread most of my life where in moments where I struggled the most was the moments that I held on to that shame and disappointment. That first Easter morning, the sun wasn't even up yet. but there was a glimmer of hope already on the horizon. Not for everybody, because some of them stayed in their beds that morning. Ty, it's okay. 
Peter was in his bed that morning. But Mary said, no, I've got to get up. Mary Magdalene got up that morning and said, I've got to go. I've got a job to do, actually. If you look into the Word, she brought spices and flowers. There was a, a job to do. If that body was there, then those ladies had a job to do. I think I missed that all these years, Richie, as I read the Word. I just assumed she went back with the heart to find Jesus or not find Jesus. But she was about her business. There was something to be done in those days and times when someone passed. They would take those bodies and put it in those tombs. And a couple of days later, they'd come back with flowers and incense and begin to prepare the body. In my mind, I just glossed over that through the years. But this morning, Mary woke up. And even in the uncertainty of what lied ahead, she had a job to do. And it says she went back to that tomb for whatever lied ahead. I was reminded of these words that we've been in the Sermon on the Mount because I, bring, I think it rings so true. And if you don't have your Bibles today, these words will be on the screen. But Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of talking about a lot of things, He's made this promise. Ask and it will be given to you. But I want you to focus in on this. Seek and you will Find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. See, that morning we see over the landscape of some scripture different levels of seeking. I'll share with you, I'll feed you baby birds. In John chapter 20, and I'm going to read these. It will be on the screen. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter. See, I told you he was still in his bed. And the other disciple, whom, the one whom Jesus loved, who we know now to be John, the one who's writing this letter, this book, this gospel. So a first-hand account, he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. See, there's even still a disbelief in her heart. What did Jesus tell them? He spent a lot of time investing time and energy saying, I'm going to die. But in three days, I will arise again. See, I think we do that a lot in church. We, we cling to that old rugged cross. We cling to that moment and we... I'm going to do this, believe. We can sing about the cross. We can wear our necklaces. I heard a Christian rap artist say one time, our Jesus pieces. We hang them from our car. But I don't think there's really a belief in us that if we went back to the tomb today that, mm, I, yeah, he's probably not there, but maybe they don't have the right tomb. Or maybe, he was a good dude, Really? And before we know it, we begin to get watered down and even our understanding of who this Lord and Savior was. These people intimately experienced him on a day-to-day -day basis, saw him do amazing things. But even in that moment, Mary wasn't convinced. Both of them were running, it says, and they don't believe him. So Peter went out from the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. See, it's funny, even in John's writing that he had to make sure he put in there, he outran Peter. 
If Peter ever reads this, just know I got there first. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Went back about their business. If you know the story, Simon went fishing. Why is that impactful? Because that's who Simon was before Jesus ever met him on the shores of that Sea of Galilee and invited him to follow him. Why is that impactful? Because just two days before that, Peter had cussed out a little girl and said, I don't know who that guy is. Don't put my name on that. And now in a moment of shame, with his body gone, he's still stewing in the what ifs. So where does he go? Back to what had defined him before he was ever to be invited to be something bigger. The disciples went back about their business. But I love this in verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she, stopped, she stooped to look into the tomb. See some background history on Mary Magdalene. She was a hopeless woman before Jesus. Bible doesn't talk much about her humble beginnings, but it said she had seven demons in her that Jesus cast out. Could you imagine that? Driven by something bigger than you. A life that was just over before it ever begun. But in this moment of Jesus freeing her, casting out these demons, from that moment on, all we can see as Scripture is a humble following. A pursuit. Why? Because in that moment, she finally found hope. She finally found the purpose that she'd been told maybe our whole life in the Jewish culture. You've been made with a purpose. We're God's people. But she never felt that way. And today, that Easter morning, with everybody who had seen him do amazing things, that had been with him, gone back about their business, John, the one who Jesus loved, he was probably okay in the grand scheme of things. He's the only one in that thing that says he believed. He walked in and says, oh, I believe, and he went about his business. We don't see Peter believed. Peter went fishing. But Mary stayed. Why is that? Because Jesus said a lot of things. He spoke a lot of things about me. Bible says that if you cast out a demon, if you don't fill that space, they'll come back. So what did Jesus do then? When he cast those demons out, he spoke life into her, purpose into her, invited her to follow. And this morning, the body's gone. I don't know where it is. The uncertainty lies. But one thing I do know, no matter how good of a man he was, he could have been a prophet that done a lot of things. God really blessed him with the ability to heal if he's not the Messiah. And if he's not the Messiah and there's no life left for him, 
and maybe there's no life left for me. She stood weeping outside the tomb in question. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, and you have to hear this moment. If you've ever watched The Chosen, I, it was a moment that stood out to me. It was the first episode, and it's not this moment played out, but it's, it's a moment of power when he speaks your name. Because he was talking to her one-on-one, but there was not a recognition. She could see him, but there was not a recognition. But the moment he spoke into her, the moment he spoke deeper than the outside disappointment, shame, tears, he said her name. Instantly, she recognized him. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I'm here to tell you today that your response to this moment will be determined and whether you know him or you know of him. It's quiet in here. See, I think today in the world we live in, there's a lot of people who know of Jesus. And I even think in the depth of this room, this relationships that we see played out in the disciples, there was still a little piece of the disciples who knew of him. See, with John, we, we see in Scripture, we see this quite often in his writings. We even see the moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross. He looks to John and he says, this is your mother. Take care of my mother. There was a deeper intimacy with John than he had with any other disciples. Why? Because there was a wavelength of love there. If you go read the, the gospel of John, or the book of John, And then the letter of John, you'll find love just so intertwined into his words. It didn't take much to convince him. Why? Because he knew him. There's a love that comes with knowing. Peter should have known him. I mean, he did walk on the water. When I was just in Israel three weeks ago now, I asked if that tour was still running, and they said it was a one-time deal. Took you a minute. But as we stood outside that tomb, we were the last group that got to go visit it that day. And, and during the tomb uh, visit, you'll see just people waiting in line to go in. You go in a couple seconds, you come out. We were blessed to be the last group of the day, so we got to linger a little bit afterwards. And I can remember standing in front of the tomb, not in it, 
but just standing out of this hole that they believe is the tomb where Jesus was laid. And I just begin to replay the thoughts of the players in this, in this scenario. I could think of Mary's heart crying out to this empty place. Is it real? Am I real? I could see Peter walking away from the tomb, mulling it over like, what have I done? If he's really risen, what have I done? Have I cashed in all my chips on the wrong color? And I see John going back with a sense of hope and wow, it's true. But all of them doing it alone. See, today I think we're all along the same line somewhere on that list of characters. If you didn't, if you've never met Jesus before, if you've never had that interaction, if you're like, eh, yeah, I know you Christian people. I got lured into this today because of dinner afterwards. I want to share with you something today. I don't believe in any mistakes. I don't believe in accidents. Hope that banana pudding is good. But I want you to know one thing today. If Jesus had one message to preach, the Bible says he came to give good news to the poor and liberty to the captives. If I could sum that up in one word, it would be this. You have value. You'll spend your whole life chasing it, and you'll never find it. You'll spend your whole life trying to find the currency of man, what people say is valuable, and you'll never find it. You'll spend your whole life seeking titles and positions that will validate you, but will never give you value. Jesus came, not in a big palace, not on a white horse, not on a Rolls Royce, as a carpenter's son, and said, I'll walk the lowliest path to get to the lowliest place. Why? Because I need to let you know there's value there. And he shared those moments with people who he wanted to know him. We've arrived at this broken place in church that when you come in here, oh, everybody knows him. Then we see Monday through Saturday play out, and you're like, ooh, I don't know if they know him. But they had it all together on Sunday. They looked so good. But realistically, they hurt every day of the week. So in this moment of recognition, Jesus looks at Mary and says, Mary. And there's something that turns in her spirit because it brings her back to that first moment. See, I would challenge you today, if you don't know him, he knows you. And that word said today, knock and it will be open to you. Seek and you will find. That's the invitation. Not that you'll find your mom and daddy's Jesus. Not that you'll find Peter or John's Jesus, but you'll find your Jesus. Why? Your Jesus. And now we're going to like, oh, now he's saying there's multiple Jesuses. 
No, I'm not. I'm saying wherever you're at in your path, he'll meet you where you are. You don't have to get to where I'm at to find Jesus. Mary stayed there and cried and he met her there. Jesus, or Peter ran to the boat to fish and he met him there. See, I believe if you're really seeking and knocking him, just like the prodigal son, when he began to look and go home for his father, his father met him. It's the heart of the father is he wants to meet you. But he won't meet you unless you're looking for him. So I encourage you today, if you're this first moment, there's an invitation to just look. The second one I would challenge is someone here today is, I've been in church a long time, Pastor. I've heard this sermon over and over again. But every year you run back to your boat to fish. On this day, every year you're reminded of your shame and disappointment that hung that man on that cross. There's no joy in it. For seven days you wallow, maybe 40 days. Maybe you get into Lent. And for 40 days, I give up my sweets. Maybe I give up my booze. Give up my TV shows. For 40 days, I'm going to wear this cross. The burden I bear. Not really that much of a burden anymore with DVR, right? Can you think about that cross about 40 years ago? For you kids, there was a time that we couldn't record TV. Those they call the dark ages. <laughs> but for 40 days, people walk into Lent and they give up these things. But you know what happens the day after Easter? Whew, I ain't got to carry that cross anymore until next year. Lay it right here. See, those are a lot like Peter. On that day, Peter laid down the shame and disappointment, or he carried it, and then Jesus came, but he challenged him. He said, you can't carry this anymore, Peter. I've got to release you from it. I'm not saying don't do Lent, but what I'm challenging you is, if you did it for 40 days and you see something that come out of it, be willing to go 41. Don't put them in a box. Don't put them in a box of your shame Every year, this is just what I have to do. This is who Jesus is to me. See, as I talked to that person this last week about this, I said, you know what? I don't think Jesus came back and had death over, or victory over death so that you could still wallow in it. He said, I'm not at the cross anymore. So don't stay there. I'm not at the tomb anymore, so don't stay there. I have done what you can't so that you don't have to. Peter out there fishing. Probably not catching much, but probably not even worried about that in that moment. I'm sure his mind was about a thousand other places. And Jesus showed up and began to cook breakfast. Yeah, that's what I would do too if I was the risen Savior. 
probably pretty hungry. As soon as Peter sees him, it says he leaps out of the boat, not wearing, well, we don't know what he's wearing, but it was those unmentionables, if anything. But at that moment, he didn't care. There was no shame. See, in Genesis, when they took of the fruit, what's the first thing they did? They looked down, noticed they were naked, and they were ashamed. The moment Jesus came on the scene, there was no shame. Why? Because his eyes were focused. He said, if one person can redeem me, if one can let me free of this bondage I'm wearing, it's him. And he goes there, and I'm sure he is cowering in fear of what Jesus is going to say. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Wait, wait, wait. That's what you told me to do initially, but I've messed that up. I don't know if you know Jesus, but I, I denied you. And Jesus is like, yeah, I told you you were going to do that, Peter. He said, but Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Jesus, you asked me this once. Quit rubbing my nose in it. Yes, I love you. Why are you asking me this again? And I said, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I don't know how many times I got to tell you. What Jesus was saying is you got to tell me three times because you denied me three times. I will remove every bit of shame that you wear. Every disappointment you've been, I will take away from you if you'll let me. You don't have to carry that anymore. I am releasing you from it. Pause in the sermon. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> he said, every bit of shame, disappointment you carry, you don't have to carry more. Why? Because my price that I paid was big enough. We write little checks for Jesus. Well, that cross, it, it paid $1.50, so I don't have to be ashamed of that time that I, I said that to so-and-so. Ooh, I don't want to carry that one. But that shame, mm, I can't believe I ever did that. And, I, and I'm sure he wouldn't sign off on that one, so I'll just keep that one in my pocket. And every year, that's I'm going to go back to the cross, and I'm just really going to hold on to that thing. And Jesus was like, no, Peter, I don't need you to hold on to any of that. I need you to walk into who I've called you to be. It's on the third time when he said, of course I love you. And Jesus didn't say feed my sheep. He said, then follow me. In other words, you're still worthy of the call I've put on your life. See, I want to challenge you today. What does your Monday, April 10th, look like? For Mary, because she found something that was really true, because she was validated in who stood before her, because she was validated who spoke life into her, she couldn't go back. And she began to share with everybody she could because there was a difference as soon as she knew. With Peter... Look at the book of Acts. We find moment after moment where Peter stood in front of really big people who spoke better than him and just did what Jesus told him to do, what the Holy Spirit led him to do. Why? Because he couldn't go back. 
That was his last moment of ever being a fisherman, ever being just what his daddy was, ever being just what they told him he'd be. Both of these people said, my Monday's got to be different because Sunday changed my life. That's the call today for the church. For those of you that, mm, I'm still trying to feel this out. Seek and you will find. I want to invite you today. If you've never really looked into them, it's time to start. I want to invite you today if You've attended a lot of church or maybe some and you've heard what your pastor said and man, he was good. But you never took it to heart. It never really changed your Monday. It never really impacted your Wednesday. Then the challenge this year is different. I look at the world around us and I heard an Anglican pastor the other day And he said, when did we get to a place that we believe that when somebody meets Jesus, it changes Jesus and not them? Chew on that one a bit. We're going to take communion today, but before we do that, I I can't move on without given a space. Are y'all going to sing before communion or after? Okay, that's what I thought. Make it short. This is not an uncomfortable moment. There is no shame or disappointment in here. I want to assure you of that. But if there's anybody here today that's never made that commitment, doesn't even know what it looks like, I want to give you an opportunity, but I want to make a commitment to you first. Because I think sometimes we move right here and we do the thing, we say the thing, we, and we get on with the thing, and you're the one that gets left behind, and you're a lot like Mary. You don't know if to stay there. You don't know if you're like Peter, run off, or you just go back to life as usual, and nothing really changed. I want to let you know you have access to a family. And it's bigger than Greenbrier Community Church, I hope. This is not some tool to try to get you to sign a membership document. Put some extra offering in the plate. This is an invitation for you. To let you know that there's people just like you. That have stood at the door of that same tomb. Have struggled with doubt. If you've never made this commitment to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity today. We're going to say it with you. We're here at Greenbrier. There's nothing better than repeating a vow, saying that prayer over our life again as a reminder of the moment we had the same interaction. But we'll pray it with you today. So if this is your first time, just pray this with us. Father, 
I'm thankful that you sent your son to die for me. To carry the shame so I don't have to. I know that he rose from the dead and he is who he said he was. So I don't have to be stuck where I was. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to see the error of my ways. And hold my hand as I walk into your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is your first time ever saying that. I just want you to lift your hands today. We want to celebrate you. Here's what I'm going to tell you, though. If your Monday looks like your Thursday, those were just words. I'm not saying you got to have it all together tomorrow. I'm not asking you to preach next week, but if you feel like it, that's cool, too. What I'm telling you is words are just words unless it sparks something different in you. Because Jesus' invitation was never a place of arrival. It's never, if you get here, you say these words, you're good to go. His invitation to everybody, and the one he restored to Peter was, come, follow me. Because if you spend any amount of time in this word, if you spend any amount of time with him, all the things that feel awkward right now, Christianity, all the things like, oh, I can't believe he said that. I really don't want to do that. What he's going to do is begin to walk a path, a journey with you where you're at. Repentance is a changing of your mind. It's a turning. But you know what? You can't turn until your mind's changed. And He trusts you in the process of you're continuously learning and growing. That's the invitation this year. Is that tomorrow I want to learn a little bit more about you. Because I know when I do, it just brings me closer to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. We're going to do communion today. But I'm going to do it a little different. Because we're on Resurrection Sunday. I've talked a lot about communion over the last couple of weeks with other pastors and God has really put a burning in my spirit of the importance of communion. Not the act, but where it was at. Just days before the the cross, we find him at the Last Supper. And we've done it all these years where we make this this corporate event, Jeff, where we bring the bread and the the juice or wine if you're um, in a denomination that that does that. And then... Whatever the thing is, we, we create these things, and this is the way we do it. I remember I had the crackers when I was growing up because we were backwood in country, and we didn't want to pay for whatever the unleavened bread was, so we just got crackers. 
I remember when we first started here, after we got here, we used some bread or crackers, and Becky said, I'm bringing my own next time because I'm sure that's not what the body of Christ tasted like. (laughs) Sorry, Becky, I called you. I don't know where she's sitting right now. But, you know, Nigel, you impacted me when you guys first came here. I was watching a video the very first night we met. You came here that Sunday. In the middle of the pandemic, nobody was here. You and Tia showed up. We almost turned you away because we weren't letting people in the building, but you stayed. I went, out, ran out of the car like a fool, invited you back in. That night, I remember you were on a Facebook Live, and you had communion with your wife. And you said, you know, we don't have juice or crackers, but we're not going to let that get in our way. Remember, they got goldfish, and I think she had coffee. That started a journey for me. Because communion has always come about what we drink and what we eat, and we've made it so much about the things that we miss the moment on where it occurred. When Jesus talked about communion, he said, when you take this, do it in remembrance of me. What he was really telling you is there's something in your life you'll always need to live, and that is bread. You will eat every day of your life. When you do it, do it in remembrance of me. See, he was evaluating your Monday, not elevating your Sunday. I want to take you to the first communion. As I do this, I want you to stand. Can we all agree that we can move and listen to me talk at the same time? Okay, stay with me. What we're going to do is have you all come to the middle and come up. If I could have Marianne and David come, please. Bill and Felicia, please. They're going to give you, give me one second. Say, come. I invite everybody to come and be a part of this today. I know some don't believe that you can unless you're saved and all those things, but in the first supper, Judas was there. And we all know how Judas's day ended. But I will challenge you this. If you come and you take today, I really want you to give a moment of reflection on what this means. On what he was representing in this moment. So if you would come, take one of the cups, take one of the pieces of bread, and then just go back to your seat. Just kind of the front middle aisle and go back and wait on me. And we will take together at the end. So if you would, start coming. If you don't feel comfortable taking, that's okay too. You don't have to take. Rick, as I was reading about the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, something stood out to me in in the act of communion. So post Jesus dying, and then we see it right after the disciples and Mary have interacted with Jesus, there was two that were on the road back to Emmaus. A seven-mile walk. Now, if you ever go to Israel, you'll find out everything's about seven miles away. It's not that big of a country. But as they begin to walk back from Jerusalem, there's a man that showed up and began to walk with them. Yeah, it was Jesus. I'll give you the spoiler at the end. And he's like, what's going on? And these disciples are like, are you kidding me? 
how could you not have heard what just happened in Jerusalem? There was this prophet. He was a powerful prophet. Listen to the words, a prophet. These were people who had followed him, disciples, it says. But there was an unbelief. There was a disconnect. There was, mm, he did some good things, but he's dead now. They didn't stick around for the after party. They had to get home back to life. It says, Jesus began to walk with them and talk to them. I'm going to read this. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Cleopas said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? That Jesus and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. There it is. We had hoped. See, this is funny. If they'd have stuck around with the other disciples, they'd already have known. But they didn't. They went back to their life. But they held on to some amount of hope. We had hoped. This is how important Jesus said they were. He went and found them on the road. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus had a huge Bible study with them for seven miles walking back to their house and poured this Old Testament into their hearts, gave them all the scripture they needed to validate him as the Messiah. funny we have the standing side and the seating side you don't get an extra seat in heaven if you're standing so they drew near to the village so Jesus walked the seven miles with them he acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent so he went to stay with them so getting close to late afternoon early evening so when he went so he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Richie had never seen this before, but this was the first communion post-resurrection. It wasn't in the midst of all the disciples. It was in the midst of the two that mattered at that moment. It didn't happen as he was preaching to them because he did it for seven miles. Can you imagine? I preached for 30, 45 minutes on a Sunday. You want a seven-mile preaching? I could do it. I promise I can talk a lot. For seven miles walking, he preached to them. It didn't happen as he was preaching to them. It happened the moment that they stood down, took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and instantly their hearts could see what their ears had heard and their eyes had seen but only an intimacy with him could reveal.
says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us up to the scriptures? See, today I believe this is what communion is about. It's not about the ceremonial act that this or this has anything to do. It's an invitation into the most intimate moment of our lives, and that is the table. What Jesus did in that upper room that night was establish the power of intimacy, a moment of connection. So today, I want to place ourselves at that table with him and Emmaus with those two disciples. You know why? Because when they took that bread and they saw who he was and he vanished, you know what they did? They packed their things up and they ran back seven miles to go tell somebody else about him. It was night. They didn't care. I told you, there's a moment when you realize who he is, it will change your life. When you realize what he says about you, it will change your life. You'll stop searching it for it in the eyes of everyone else. Because you'll realize the value of the created always lies in the eyes of the creator. He said, take this bread and break it as my body will be broken for yours. And eat. And then he said, this represents my blood which will be poured out for you. That will pay the biggest debt that will ever exist in this world. All of the sins of the world I take on. I sign the check. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is lay down the things that have held you back and I'll wash them away. Take and drink. Father, we thank you today that we have communion with you, that we have connection with you. We thank you that you speak life over us, that you invite us to follow you so that we can be difference makers in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our communities, in our workplaces. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you give us, that even when we fall short, you pick us up, dust us off, and invite us to move forward. I'm thankful that the end of your body was just the beginning of what you wanted to do in us, through us, and for us. Father, today on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that the tomb is empty so that we never have to be again. In Jesus' name, amen.